it was terrifying in my head because of the story that I told myself that people would judge me. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. Welcome listeners. I'm Renee Cordes with the Main Biz Podcast team. Today's guest is Carolyn Delaney, founder and CEO of Journey Magazine. Carolyn worked in IT consulting for many years. She will tell us what prompted her to start Journey Magazine, a publication full of stories about recovery from addiction. Its mission, to amplify hope and make recovery visible. After telling us a little bit about her own background and personal recovery story, Carolyn will talk about what inspired her to start Journey Magazine, how Journey Magazine launched a YouTube channel during the pandemic, and how it continues to grow in terms of reach and readership. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Renee. It's really, really good to be here. Before we get into the story, uh, the backstory of Journey Magazine, introduce uh, yourself to our listeners. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. So my name's Carolyn Delaney. I'm the founder of Journey Magazine. I am a Mainer, born and raised in Wyndham, and I've been in Portland since uh, 1984. Right. And tell us a little bit about your career path before publishing. I know you, you spent many years in the IT industry. I did. So I spent, um, I started programming when I was really young. So computers were always my jam and solving problems with computers was just uh, very exciting for me. Very exciting for me. So I went from using a Macintosh when they first came out in the early nineties to, um, yeah, 19, I think it was 1989, the Lisa came out and then 1990 something, the Mac came out. And so I used a Macintosh in the early days. And then uh, over the past 25 years, I've I've spent the bulk of my professional career in IT leadership positions, managing uh, large IT departments, everything from uh, data analytics to network engineers to telephony and help desk. Were you also uh, a math whiz? Was your background math? And is, did that pave the way to computers? And No, it was actually, I think what really showed me in the early days that I was at, that uh, computers was my path was chess. So back in the sixth grade, I was a chess player and I was the very first girl in the chess club and 12 boys and me. And I was the first girl. So I was, I was Yay. always very strategic and yes. And they all picked on me because girls don't play chess. And, um, and I beat all I of them it. and took home the trophy. Great. Wonderful. So I think that strategic, like planning five steps out right. was really where I saw how technology could help. 
I love it. That's great. So because recovery is the topic of, of today and Journey Magazine, I know you have your own recovery story uh, going back to the day, one day that changed everything in your life when you gave up alcohol, February 12th, 1993. Yeah. So what can you share about this? Where were you in your life that day that you stopped? Sure. So my, um, so my alcoholism took me to homelessness and uh, losing custody of my children and really just controlled my life and made decisions for me in every way, shape and form until February 12th, when I, February 12th of 1993, when I, um, I, um, kind of surrendered myself to a women's halfway house in Portland. And it was a six month inpatient long-term treatment facility. Um, so that was February, it was February 12th that I, I just finally surrendered and said, I don't know how to do this by myself and I can't stop drinking on my own and I need help. Great. And of course you are still in recovery today because as you've told me a few times, recovery is a lifelong journey. So yes. how would you explain that to people who don't know what recovery is? So I look at recovery as being um, I, uh, one's ability to make decisions in their own best interest and lead a life of wholeness and wellness. Um, and so for some people that could be food, some people that could be gambling, some people that could be alcohol or drugs or smoking. Um, for me, it was alcohol and drugs. And my stepping into recovery meant that I gave up the right to, I gave up the um, illusion that I could fix that myself. Mm -hmm. So I think recovery is a, a process where other people can help you step away from the things that are killing you as a human. And also admitting that you do need help, that you can't do it on your own. Right. And also admitting that I can't do this by myself. Right. Yeah. And, and in the, on the tough days, and I'm sure that there are still tough days, who or what is it that keeps you grounded, keeps you on the right path? There's a couple of things that I find that really help. One is having people to talk to. And one is, is a community of, of women that I can just call. And sometimes I've, sometimes I've picked up the phone and all they can hear is me crying on the other end. And that's because I'm just up against myself and I don't know how to, I don't know how to, my life has gets unmanageable. Mm -hmm. It got unmanageable. I was institutionalized for my first three years. And, you know, when I bought, when I first went into an apartment, completely sober woman, when I first got my kids back, it was a, another event, right? That when I, sure. when I bought my house, it was another event. So all, it wasn't just the lows, it was also the highs. So there was also this like raw emotion that I don't know what to do with. I have people that I can reach out to and I, and I'm a, I'm a woman of faith. So I have a, um, um, something that's not myself that, that I can reach out to for some guidance. Right. And, and that day, I mean, it's important to remember that day, you're the start of your recovery journey. So how do you commemorate that day on a personal level or? I look at it as the day that I started a second life. Mm -hmm. And it's more important to me than my birthday. It's more important to me than anything. It was the day that, that I accepted the fact that I had this life-taking disease and that I couldn't fix it. 
I couldn't, I couldn't fix it on my own. It's an important day for me. And I've had a lot of important days like that. When I quit smoking, January 24th, 2011, you know, I, I was 18 years sober when I quit smoking and I had tried everything. And, you know, those days that are pivotal moments in our life that really change the course. Good, good. So now let's fast forward to a dream that you had that ended up being very pivotal and inspirational about a newsletter named uh, Journey, I believe, that you had once worked on. So tell yeah. us first about the original Journey newsletter and then tell us about the dream. Sure. So Journey was a newsletter that was uh, published by a guy named Bobby. He was a, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he wanted people to know that where the AA meetings were back in the 90s. This was in 90, 90, 91, 92. And I was working on a Macintosh and I was his typesetter or desktop publisher back in the day. And I would, I would type up his copy and then he would take it. So there was a big production. You couldn't just put out a message to the masses <laughs> like you can today. You can't right. just sit at your keyboard and, and put out stuff. You had to, it was a process and an investment. Mm -hmm. And I was his person and, um, and I was drunk at the time. And he knew I was drunk at the time. And he just said, you know, when you're, when you're tired of being sick, I know mm -hmm. where you can go. So, so I was, I was the person that did that for him. So that was in the nineties. And then, you know, many years passed. And in 2017, I think it was, I had a dream about him, which was really weird. And I just remembered like <laughs> just his out of face. Blue completely out of the blue, completely out of the blue. I was run. I had a consulting business. I was, you know, getting my geek on and <laughs> just having like tons of fun doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So for, for this dream, it was just really weird. And I kind of filed Taking it away. And like, that was weird to a previous stage of your life. Yes. And all I remember from the dream was his face and his banner from his newsletter. And it was journey. It was called journey. And um, yeah, it was really weird. And I just remember telling my husband, like, I just had this really weird dream about Bobby Hall. <laughs> <laughs> and then tell me about how that evolved, how the idea for Journey Magazine came about. Well, I started to, um, uh, the opioid epidemic started, like the deaths, um, the devastating impact that that addiction has had on our communities. Yes. was much. starting to, the, the depths of despair were... Uh, consistent. Like there was just, it was devastating again and again and again. And, and um, I started to really wish that there was a way to put out a message like addiction doesn't have to end in death. There are so many people in recovery from all kinds of addiction. Like we're here and we care mm -hmm. and it doesn't Survivors. have to be like this. Survivors. Yes. That we, we've been there. We've been there. We did that. We've done that what you're going through. We know what that feeling is like, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to be a victim to, um, active addiction. And I started to talk about maybe doing a newsletter, then maybe doing a, a mag. And then it started to be like a magazine. And I realized that I, I thought somebody must've done that, but actually nobody had, <laughs> nobody had. Right. Tell and, me about that. Cause there, there was no publication like this anywhere in the world, right. That was independent, not anonymous, uh, focusing on recovery stories. Is that right? You didn't find anything like that. Well, we we didn't find anything like that from people in recovery. So there's, okay. there, there are a couple out there like, um, sober nation recovery today, you know, where they are, um, 
they're put out by either like treatment centers or publishing houses or, you know, that they, and, and their content, we were looking for something really hyper-local so okay. that when people, people in Maine can see people in Maine and not, you know, some of the big names that are in recovery that are well-known, sure. we really wanted to bring it home to, you know, the farmer or the, you know, the, the, the Maine potato farmer and, you know, the people right here in our own communities that are staying sober on a daily basis. Right. What steps did you take to then start Journey Magazine, you know, to put out a magazine? What, what were some of the first things that you did? Well, first I started talking to friends and everybody I talked to said, I want to help. I want to help. So all of a sudden I have 20 people that want to help me and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I hired Lee Hughes and I, ta- I, was, I had been meeting with a score guy I met with my score guy. I talked to Joe, mentor, my score mentor. Yep. And I talked to some seasoned publishers in this space and said, what is it, what is it going to take to do this? This is what I want to do. What is it going to take? And I took a lot of notes and I took a lot of action based on what people told me to do. And uh, a group of us met November 20, November 1st of 2018 and by March 1st of 2019, so four months later, we had 10,000 copies of the magazine. That is amazing. And, and this must have also, I mean, you had worked on a newsletter before, but this was a pretty big step, you know, starting uh, your own publication from scratch. Was that a scary thing? <laughs> it was all scary. Every step of the way, it was scary. I was also, I was also in a group with, um, from uh, Women's Business CEI, a focus okay. group. So I was meeting with a woman named Lee and um, she, like, I just had all of this help at, right at the very beginning. I had all of this help so as long as, I think as long as I could say, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. Right. I had people show up and say, okay, specifically, what do we need to talk about? Specifically, what do we need to do? So it really helped me with my next five steps. Like, okay, I have to define my editorial. Okay, I have to define my advertising stuff. Okay. I have, so, yeah. so every step of the way, it seemed that I had an abundance of, of people that would provide some guidance for me. And, um, and I and still am connected ask either. No, because I knew what the outcome, like I knew what I wanted. I knew what we wanted to do. Our mission was really to make recovery from addiction visible. Like we knew we wanted to do that as far as execution you know, that was where it was like, okay, what does that really mean? And how do we, how do we, how do finding a printer and finding advertisers and find the type of paper that it's on, you know, all of these, all of these hundreds of little decisions that had to happen. um, There was plenty of people to help guide that for me. I love it. Sounds very main too, right? Very main. It was very main. Yes. And, and, you know, embarking on this also meant, you know, putting yourself out there and, you know, sharing your own recovery story with people who knew you, but maybe didn't know that and, you know, that they might be shocked or or not supportive. So that must've also been a quite a daunting thing as well. It was terrifying. It was terrifying. It, It was terrifying in my head because of the story that I told myself that people would judge me. Okay. That people would judge me. People would not understand me. They would treat me different. Um, people who knew me for 20 years did had no idea that I was in recovery. 
people that worked for me, people in my IT teams didn't know I was in recovery. So I had really worked behind a computer for all these years, leading departments and Mm -hmm. really kept that part of myself very quiet. And what was then the reaction? Or what were some of the reactions? Did you hear from people you hadn't heard from in years? Yeah, I, well, I heard from people I hadn't heard from in years. And and I heard from people saying, I have an aunt, I have a nephew, I have a dad. And it felt like it gave people permission to, um, to approach me. Mm-hmm for either help or just say, I know, or I am one. Like I had people that I'm also in recovery. And, um, and it seemed that by being visible, it encouraged more visibility. And that was really um, empowering for me because there was, there was a moment I was in a women's group and I said that I was, well, I was starting this magazine. And when I said that I'm a woman, I'm an alcoholic in, in recovery, two other women said me too. Huh. And they hadn't. And so it was, it was like by being visible, it encouraged other people to be visible. Right. And, you know, when you've got one, one person in a group that's in recovery, but when you've got three and like, it just starts to it just starts to smash this whole secrecy around, around recovery and around addiction in general, um, because it's not that thing for those people. It's like right here in all of us, you know, there, I don't know, I, I've met one person that said that they didn't know anything about addiction, but most people, most people, their lives have been touched in some way by addiction or alcoholism. How did you line up, you know, advertisers for a magazine before it was even out yet? So how did you (laughs) describe it to them? Because I know this from the start was supported by advertising. So how did you get those, those advertisers for the first issue, especially? Yeah, it was tricky. It was tricky. Some of our, because there was nothing like it. It didn't exist. We didn't have, we didn't have a prototype. We, um, so when I called, um, when I called on people, it was really about our message. Like this is a magazine that has a message of hope in this horrible, devastating conversation about addiction. And some of our early advertisers, Karen St. Clair from EFT, like that, so that, that it's a, it's a compliment to recovery, you know? So we, we reached out to some people where acupuncture was another early early advertiser. Um, We reached out to people that had businesses that would want to get in front of an audience that cared about wellness. Um, We did have a couple that were treatment facilities, but Mm -hmm. um, in our our second issue, I believe Maine Health came on board. You know, once we got that first issue out and distributed, then we started to see an attraction from others to really support this message that recovery is possible. Great. And how long roughly was it between the idea, the planning, and when the first issue came out? Was it a period of a few months? It, well, so um, so November 1st, we met. And so we had the, I had the idea and I had started to- November 1st- um, 2018. 2018. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was- November 1st is when we met and we said, okay, what do we want to write about? So there's 20 of us. We got together. We had a facilitator and the magazine actually looks very, very different 
we intended. <laughs> our goal, our initial um, goal was to be a magazine for the recovery community. Yes. And what we found was we were actually making a bigger impact by, uh, by putting out a message about recovery in general. So, so initially we had planned for a monthly magazine with social events and a calendar and classifieds and, you know, play how to find a sober roommate, things like that. But what we found with our very first issue is that attraction from, you know, people outside of the community needing some hope in this conversation. There was just such a hunger for hope. How, it must've been a proud moment when you saw that first issue. It's like people like birthing a baby, right? It's, it's your child. When you saw that first issue, yeah. what was sort of your emotional state? Oh, I was, well, it's, I, um, I think it was really the creating of the magazine. Cause I, I had hired somebody to do it. And then when they delivered it, I hated it. And I cried. Oh. I, cr- I hated it. I hated the layout. I hated all everything about it. And um, luckily I had a journey person with me when I got the first proof and uh, she calmed me down. Oh, and then, um, and then I hired after a couple back and forth, I hired somebody from India to teach me InDesign. So I actually did the layout myself and I had like four 16 hour days. And um, so creating the magazine was actually like the birthing of the baby, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I finally was able to upload that PDF, it was an overwhelming um, sense of relief that I wasn't dependent on someone else for the layout because that was really, really scary for me. And um, and that we had finished it and we were getting it to the printer on time. And, and I love the fact your your mission about amplifying hope. And uh, you always have, you know, people on the cover. It's very much about the people. And that first issue, uh, there was a father and a daughter, I believe, uh, for main paint. And so um, that that was part of your mission from the start, right? To all about the people, the photographs, the stories. Yes, it's all about the stories because because active addiction... active addiction is really visible, right? When we get arrested or, you know, just, it's very visible all over in our communities, in the newspapers, everywhere, it's everywhere. But what is less visible are the, is the fact that, that there's 26 million of us in recovery. And that's probably a little bit on the low side in the United States. And that's a huge number. It's a huge number of people that are living these like non-chaotic, non-dramatic lives. We're kind of unremarkable and a little invisible, right? Because we're we're kind of drama free. So we become homeowners and business owners and engaged community members. And we kind of, we go on about our life. And, you know, at, I, um, so that woman that was on our first cover, she's a nurse and she got her nurse's license back and now she's helping people, you know, get sober. You know, we don't hear those stories and we think that's a shame. And I believe that's what, what's killing people. Right. Right. We often hear about the, sadly, the tragedies and and the overdoses. And you said, so it's great that you guys are highlighting the the victories. We actually only talk about recovery. We only talk about it. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It sounds like quite an amazing uh, start for for Journey Magazine, also a new chapter in your uh, professional and personal life. So we're going to take a very short break. 
And then we'll continue the story about how Journey Magazine has grown and evolved. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. I had this moment, do I go back to IT consulting or what? The future was completely blank. I had no idea what was gonna happen. So we are back talking to Carolyn Delaney of Journey Magazine. We were just talking about the launch of Journey Magazine um, in March uh, 2019. And um, at that time, Carolyn, were you working from home or, or from an office? Uh, tell me about that. So we were at Think Tank originally, mostly yeah, because co-working space in, in a co-working space in Portland and on Conquer Street. Um, both my husband have worked from home for decades. And uh, we went to Think Tank just to get out of our house, just as my IT consulting business and his company is in New York. So we had a we had an office at Think Tank. And tell me about the, the journey team, uh, because these are all you had some paid staff, but it's mostly volunteers doing this as a labor of love. Yes, it's mostly volunteers and it's people in recovery, uh, recovery allies and some people that just really want to be part of a solution and um, part of this mission. So it's, um, we're mostly volunteers. And tell me a bit how you um, sort of expanded the team and and how you um, expanded the sort of reach of Journey Magazine. How'd you get the word out about it? I know you've spoken at, you know, events and things statewide. So tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, one of the things, well, COVID really changed things for us. So we, so we, um, we launched a YouTube channel and we, this was during COVID, you launched a YouTube at the during COVID. Yep. Yep. So when we started, um, when we, when 2019, it was really about exposure and expanding and getting the magazine out to the, to the, um, to local businesses and, uh, and building and our, it, it quickly became a, a state, statewide reach or how far was, was the reach of the print publication? Before? Initially it was Southern Maine. Initially it was Southern Maine. And then we started getting calls from, well, we, we actually had subscribers in 26 States. So we had, um, wow. Yes. So Chan, uh, one of the news stations did a, did a, a series, uh, an interview with me. And that night we had a hundred new subscribers. <laughs> it was massive. So and they were from well all over the country. Maine. Well beyond Maine. Yeah. Good. And, and the, the, the magazine itself is, um, continues to be supported by advertising. And I assume that that group of advertisers has grown significantly more, um, yeah. and different kinds of companies who are advertising with you. Yes. And it's interesting because it really, I think that even our selection of advertisers really helped to change the stigma around addiction. Okay. We're a recovery magazine. Like there's no, there's no ambiguity between, but about what we're about to have businesses like Kenny Bunk savings, right. That that's a financial institution that, that says, this is an important conversation for us. Advertise spa tech, a beauty school, like okay. these, 
these advertisers that come up that are not in the recovery, quote unquote, right, addiction industry, the more that they join this conversation, either through journey or any other way, it really starts to change the stigma around addiction because it expands that conversation. Now, Journey started as a print magazine and you already mentioned this briefly, the pandemic shut everything down. And I believe um, in April of 2020, you didn't print one or two issues. So was that a scary moment? That was one of my defining moments, really. Honestly, Renee, like we were successful as a print magazine. We were expanding and really becoming uh, influential and sought after. And then when we realized we couldn't print it because we couldn't put it down, people were, you know, 2020 in April. And, uh, and I had this, I had this moment, like, do I go back to IT consulting or what? The, the future was completely blank. I had no idea what was going to happen. So I, I just got to a place on a day where I realized the mission is too important. The execution is, you know, that's all going to change and there are going to be more platforms. And so how do we figure out a path forward given the circumstances we're sitting in right now? So we went quickly to YouTube, very quickly. But I had to figure out like, what is a B-roll? I didn't even know what a B-roll was. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to like, we, we luckily we had some sponsors that said, we want to support you in getting a, a YouTube channel up and running and they helped us. Great, so tell us about the, the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is a, it's a, they're, they're between five and 10 minute um, recovery stories, people showing their names and faces. We're not an anonymous publication and we respect all paths to recovery. So not all paths to recovery are anonymous. And so our goal with the YouTube channel is to get out the stories of people who had bet, who struggled with addiction and, and now don't, and a little bit about the life that they're living. And what we, um, what we found so far is that actually the parents showing, parents sharing their family recovery stories is probably, I still believe one of our most viewed at like 750 views and mostly watched. Um, so it's, I think it starts to show that we're not alone. Right. And how many stories uh, do you have up there? I know you have tons of videos. Yeah, we have about probably, I think we have 18 stories now up on the YouTube channel and we have about 20 in our queue and we're collecting more and more every day. So, so we've really turned it into a way, a platform where people who want to share their stories can, and in a way that um, can be uh, amplified. I love it. And then of course you guys also went back to printing the magazine. So yes. when did you uh, restart uh, that? Was it when sort of things started to open up again uh, during the pandemic or? Uh, in August, that? it was August of 20. So we didn't print two issues and then we went to, back to print in August, but our distribution was still very limited. And we went down to only 5,000 copies because we were only being distributed in the grocery stores. I see. Um, there wasn't really any place to put it down. Now, when, so we did 5,000 a couple of times, then we went back to 10. Our last issue was um, 18.5. And then this issue was 20,000 just due to the request for the magazine. That's double what you were at, at the start. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, who, who is your audience now? 
both through the YouTube channel and uh, readers of the, the print magazine? I believe our readers are people who know, people who have been affected by addiction or people in recovery and, uh, or seeking recovery. And sometimes those happenstance people, right? The people that just pick it up at the, at the grocery store because it looks like an interesting read. And hopefully we're getting in front of a life changing event. Like that's our goal. Like, so we have a recovery program lists of many of the recovery programs. We have resources in the magazine and, and now we have a new prevention column for how to talk to your teen. Like, you know, so for the, for the parents. Um, so that's who we, that's who are Matt, who seems to be attracted to the magazine. Great. And you're also, you mentioned this already very briefly that you're broadening the focus um, to uh, employers and kind of in a sense making a business case for employers that there should be a way for the employees to overcome addiction and with recovery. So why is this something employers need to pay attention to? I believe employers can change this conversation. I believe employers are influential in shifting the perception of addiction by making the conversation more approachable. There's 75% of people who struggle with addiction are employed. That's a big, big number. And, and people that that's where we spend our most time in Maine, specifically in Maine, because we're so rural that, you know, having the, having the employers support just asking for help, not even the recovery movement support asking for help in a way that's very visible mm-hmm. um, and practical can save the lives of people that are connected to them, either clients, customers, vendors, employees, um, employees, loved ones. So I think employers and businesses really are, are can be instrumental in, the, in changing this changing this. So our August 2021 issue really showed some statistics on how many people are affected by addiction in the workforce. And it also shared some information about recovery-friendly workplaces, which is a a, a New Hampshire-based organization that helps businesses change their culture to be more, um, to create a positive change in their culture around, around addiction and recovery. So we're now going to take a final break, uh, and then we're going to wrap up this interview with some lessons and takeaways from this whole experience. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. When I wake up in the morning, it's not, oh, I have to go to work. When I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, how do I make the best use of my time today to further my mission? We are back uh, talking to Carolyn Delaney of uh, Journey Magazine. Uh, you were just telling us about your long-term uh, ambitions, shorter-term and long-term ambitions. So um, Carolyn, just thinking about 
this whole journey of launching journey, uh, what have been some of the, the lessons uh, that you've learned and takeaways from this whole experience? I've learned that when the mission is so important to you that um, hurdles and barriers are irrelevant, that you find a way that my own personal insecurities are irrelevant and sometimes even petty, um, that, um, that because the mission is so important to, to me and to the whole journey team, that we just find a way, we just figure it out. And that, that obviously that mission changed <laughs> unexpectedly during COVID when you stopped publishing and launched a YouTube channel. So, yeah. So, well, and, and I think our mission has always been the same. I think our execution had to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause our mission, our vision and our values, like all of that stuff has been in place since day one. We've never wavered from our mission, um, but execution wise. And, and I, so my lesson is that when my mission is so um, key to, to who I am as a person, that the bear, the things that come up that may block me from that are, we'll get it. We'll figure it out. And right. asking for help would be my second one that, that when I can get really clear on what do I need for resources and what do I need for guidance that people show up. You know, when I get really clear on what's needed, I can ask for help and I can get that help. Great. And I think those are also um, lessons or, or guidance for anybody who wants to start a mission-driven enterprise, uh, whether it's a publication or, or a nonprofit or something else, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. When it's, when it's the reason you get up in the morning, like, when I wake up in the morning, it's not, oh, I have to go to work. When I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, how do I make the best use of my time today to further my mission? Great, great. And any more dreams about uh, Journey Magazine or any more dreams along the way that have uh, influenced uh, the direction? Or <laughs> I, um, I really like writing. Mm -hmm. And I really like, which I, which is shocking. Um, and the other, <laughs> the other part that's, that I'm pretty excited about is presenting. So I've been, I, I've taken some courses and some classes through Women's Business CEI. And I know that I'm, I will be, I'm ready to communicate the value of making recovery from addiction visible in any way, shape or form. Like, so I'm excited for that. Cause I think that journey and, and all of our, all of our connections, all of our um, connections in the recovery community can be really um, important resources for people that are starting, just starting to look at this conversation in a way saying, what can we do? For all the people out there who are listening, who want to help a loved one or themselves, you know, overcome any kind of addiction, tell them why, why should they read Journey Magazine? Journey Magazine will, will give you a little, a little glimmer of hope that recovery is not only possible, but it's probable. It's probable. It's not just a maybe, and it's not just a happenstance that there are millions of people whose lives have been changed and saved by various recovery programs. And that there's not just a one size fits all, that there are many recovery programs out there that are, that are the, the tribes are waiting for you to come and join them. They're there, they're there. Don't ever give up looking for help, whether it's a loved one, whether it's yourself, don't ever give up looking for a way out. 
The Day That Changed Everything is a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Main Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The MainBiz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.